Okay, Galatians chapter 1, Paul, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through human agency, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. This is pretty interesting. So we know Paul's the author, and he is an apostle, but he's not an apostle because he says so. And he's not an apostle because some organization of men endorsed him and said he was. He's an apostle because God sent him. Isn't that amazing? Like, you, you, if anybody had a litany of things they could brag on, it would be Paul, because he had the best teaching, he had the best mind, he had the best pedigree. But in Christ, he doesn't use any of that as his endorsement. Now that he's in Christ, his only endorsement is, I'm sent from God. I love that. Don't you guys love that? I think that should be all of our calling cards. Yes, I'm a Methodist. Yes, I'm a Charismatic. Yes, I'm a Nazarene. But no, that's not why I'm here. I'm sent from God. Like, I've been with God. He gave me his heart. He gave me his spirit. He gave me his message. I'm sent from God. Amen? That should be all of us, you guys. Can I get an amen? Okay. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia. So this is pretty interesting, you guys. He had some brothers with him, so he's coming not just by himself, but there's some people that are with him. They're walking, you know, shoulder to shoulder with him. And in some of his other letters, he lists them. He lists some of the names. One of the names that sticks out to me is Aristarchus. I don't know why. I always just remember that name because it seems like a fascinating name. Who would name their kid Aristarchus? Anyway, that's, that's not a part of the sermon. Um, so, so he's so he's talking to all the churches in Galatia, and I'm not sure, you know, I know I, Inconium, Lystra, Derby, some theologians think those were part of the cities that he was talking to in the Galatia region. Um, I, I will tell you this much. This is what he says, grace and peace from God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. So this letter is a letter of scolding, of rebuke, of discipline, but he starts it off by saying, it's me, Paul, God sent me, and he has grace and peace for you. Even though you're doing it wrong, God still has grace and peace for you. Isn't that good news, you guys? Even when we're in the wrong, even when we're not doing it the way God wants it, even when we've misled a little bit by man's ways, God still is extending grace and peace. Isn't that good news? Like, I need more. Does anybody on the Zoom need more grace and peace? I need more. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He still considers them. Now, these are people that are in danger of being backslidden. These are people that are in danger of losing their faith, you guys. These are people that he says, you know, you're on the verge. I know it does say in Hebrews that if you become totally apostate, there's no chance of recovery. Paul's not saying that the people that he's addressing this letter to in Galatians are totally apostate. He's not saying they've totally fallen from grace, but he says they're falling from grace. But God is still extending grace 
and peace. And if, if that gives me good news, that gives me hope, you guys, that people that are misled, people that are deceived, people that are trying to do it by their own righteousness and their own works, come on, and their own determination, God is still extending grace and peace to them. Amen? And then in Galatians 1.4, <clears throat> who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. I love that. The, the purpose of Jesus coming to this earth, in verse 4, is to deliver us from this present evil world now. He's not, he didn't come to save us so that we could be delivered when we get to heaven. He came to save us so that we could be delivered now in this world. The present evil age. We're delivered, we're free. That's why Jesus came, you guys. And what does that mean? Um, what does all that mean that he came to deliver us from this present evil age? He came to deliver us from everything the devil has inflicted, everything that sin has borne consequences to. He came to deliver us from all of that. So part of why Jesus came is so that we could have peace, joy, health, prosperity, confidence, authority, influence. All of that is what Jesus purchased. And if and if and if we if we limit what Jesus came to do to giving us a pass to heaven someday, we're missing the purpose. Jesus came to reinstate us back to the image of Christ, back to the inheritance that was once mankind's. Come on, back to the place before sin interrupted God's perfect plan. Jesus came to do that now. And so let's just receive all the benefits of Christ's blood now, right? Let's believe it and receive it now. Amen? Uh, verse 5, all the glory goes to God. All the glory, come on. All the praise goes to God, verse 5. To whom be the glory forever, amen. So what is your doctrine sending the glory to? What is what you believe, my brothers and sisters? Is it giving all the glory to God or is it giving to your willpower or your disciplines or your creed? Because if we're receiving what Jesus came to give us, all the glory should go to God. If, if we're receiving the byproduct of our own human efforts, then the glory goes to us or an institution. I want all the glory to go to God. Amen? Anybody with me? Let's, let's just give God all the glory. And then look, look at this, verses 6 and 7. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is not just another account, but there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Okay. What what's amazing here you guys is Paul's amazed that they were falling so soon. Like 
how are they being deceived so soon? Now, we don't know for sure what that means. I know when I first studied this book, there were, there were opinions on when it was written, anywhere from 50 AD to 68. I, I don't want to argue that. I just know this, that even if you're deceived within 20 years, it seems like it's too soon if you've really encountered the living Christ. You know, some people fall away within the first year, right? The statistics in American Christianity is if you have a crusade and 100 people come to Christ, one year later, only six of them are still walking with Christ. So in the first year of a new believer in American Christianity, only 6% of the people are still in faith. So Paul would really be amazed at those statistics, right? I mean, how did you fall away, right? Like, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. Now, I want to I propose to you that the word grace of Christ and gospel, that the word grace and gospel are interchangeable. From Paul's perspective, it's the gospel of grace and it's the grace of the gospel. And I think the reason why Paul is so amazed that there were people coming into the new church there in that you know, first 50 years of Christianity. And they were distorting the gospel of grace into a gospel of works. You know, later on in this book, he calls it witchcraft. And that's pretty harsh words. Would you guys agree with that? Like, if you go back to thinking you can produce and you can do it with your disciplines and your, you know, self-denial and your whatever, who's bewitched you? Right? Like, why did you buy into witchcraft when you first received the gospel of grace? Right? It's by grace that you're saved through faith, not works. Come on, man. He didn't say we have to come to the altar 13 times. Like, how many times do people think they have to be saved? Come on. How many times do you think you need to be sanctified? Get Let's have a clue, man. It's the gospel of grace. It's once for all. It's eternal redemption. He paid the price. Our sins are forgiven. Past, present, future. Let's walk in the gospel of grace. Let's don't allow people and the devil to talk us back to a covenant that's now obsolete. Let's walk in our freedom. Let's walk in our freedom. So, so he says, you're so quickly deserting him who called you. So him is Jesus. So the moment you leave grace and go back to works, you're leaving Jesus. Did you understand that? He's the grace. Remember when I taught this, when in, in John 1:14 it says he came full of grace and truth. And then a couple verses later, it uses the word grace twice. It was grace upon grace. It's like all of God's grace was in Jesus, and Jesus came to move into all of us. So all of God is all of grace in Jesus, and all of Jesus is in us. So in our spirit is all the grace of God. And for us to rely on ourselves and go back to works, you guys, it's almost the biggest atrocity that there could be because we receive the grace by faith and then now we think we need to add to it by performance. And when you do performance-based religion instead of relationship-based religion, you burn out, you get offended, 
You feel like you need to be affirmed continually. You feel like nobody notices you. And then you're, and then all your motives get skewed. And then you can't see anybody the way Christ sees them. And before long, you've fallen from grace and you thought you were following the gospel, but it wasn't the gospel of grace. It was the gospel of works, which is the law. Are you guys with me? He says, he says, by grace of Christ for a different gospel. And it's not just another account. You see, here's the deal, you guys. Satan couldn't come in to our gathering on this Zoom and tempt us to light little incense Buddha things. He couldn't do that because we know that's not the gospel of Christ. It, he couldn't tempt us to take off our shirts and try to scourge our backs to atone for our own sins because that would be ludicrous to us. Like, he wouldn't tempt us to that, but you know what he does do? He tempts us into thought processes like, well, if I'll just work harder, I can get more of God's grace. Well, if I just, if I just believe harder, if I just read more, if I just fast more, come on. If I just give more, if I, if I, do more than I can get more of what God's offering. That's what Satan tempts the American church to do constantly. You know, I grew up in a, in a stream of believers that success was measured in three basic areas, uh, numbers, dollars, and square feet. That's a, that's a shocker. Numbers of people dollars brought in and square footage of your facility. And I'm wondering where the grace is in any of that. And so, uh, Satan doesn't try to talk us into becoming Buddhist or Muslims or Hindus or Jehovah's Witnesses, or Mormons, Satan tries to talk us into just work a little harder. He's subtle, isn't he? Come on, you guys, he's subtle. And so, uh, look at verses eight and nine. But even if we, or an angel for heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. And how can you be any harsher than that? If someone comes to you and says, it's anything besides grace and faith, they should be accursed. And that's the word anathema, which means go to hell. <laughs> like that's, they should be in hell. If they're telling you that you need to do anything besides receive the grace of God by faith, then they should curse to hell. That's why a lot of scholars don't know if Paul wrote this book, because it seems like he's so confrontational, he's so in their face. And then look at verse nine. And if we have said before, even now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel, contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. He's like, he says it two times in a row. Like, when is the last time you heard a preacher say, if they're not preaching this, they need to be damned to hell? 
Like, who in their right mind says that? Somebody that's saying, I wasn't sent from men. I was sent from God. <laughs> Come on, man. If you were coming to represent men, you wouldn't say that. He came representing God. You know, this is interesting, you guys. Listen to this. You know, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, remember when Paul talks about being gracious to people? And then in chapter 9 of Corinthians, he talks about, I became all things to all people so I could save one. It wasn't that Paul was so strict and so hard that he didn't have room to bend to give grace to people where they were at in their ability to receive the grace of God. Paul was willing to do anything. He was willing to do, he was willing to eat things he wasn't comfortable with, go to things. Paul was willing to do anything to save one, but on this one topic that you change the grace of the gospel into the works of the gospel, he had no wiggle room. It's like, I'll do anything, guys. I'm not condemned. Like, I'm so free in Christ, nothing condemns me, but I won't do anything that causes you to stumble. But on this one area, I'm not giving you any wiggle room. If you think it's anything but the grace of God and you're preaching that, you need to be accursed. Man, it doesn't get any more serious than this in the whole Bible. You know, Romans 11:6 says it's either all of grace or all of you. There's no mixture. This gospel is either all God's grace and we receive it, or it's all our works. You can't do both, you guys. And what these Judaizers, these Pharisees, what these religious people were trying to do is talk new Christians back to the old covenant, saying, I know it's God, but you need to add to it, and we can't add to it. Jesus says it's finished. He did all the work. He wants us to receive it by faith and walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? I don't know why I get, I get loud. I'm not, I'm not trying to be loud. Look at 110. For am I now seeking the favor of people or of God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a love slave of Christ. This is interesting. Uh, what? What, what I get out of this verse is I write, I write little highlights of every verse, and that's what I'm preaching to you guys, okay? What I get out of 110 is, am I the one who persuaded you, or was God actually speaking through me? <laughs> was I preaching to get your approval, or was I preaching to get God's approval? If I'm just preaching what people want to hear, then that's not God. So that was my little overview of verse 10. And I think there's been a lot of preaching to get people's approval so that we can have numbers, dollars, and square footage. And I think it's time to go back to the simplicity of the gospel, you guys, to where we receive the grace of God by faith. Come on, period. Because that's where the power is. Because grace is kara, which is the root of charisma. And if we'll stay in grace and not in works, if we'll stay in grace and not in, you know, performance or religion, if we'll stay in grace, that's where the power of God is. Amen? 
anytime you guys want to wave at me, you can, because it encourages me, because I feel alone. I feel alone here in my little office. Um, okay. Verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel which was preached by me is not of human invention. It's not of human invention. What he's saying there is, I'm making this clear that this gospel is not from man, it's not from me. I'm just the mouthpiece of God. What I think is so amazing, you guys, is nobody would have the courage to say these things that Paul is saying unless he really was coming from God. Because he's not trying to build an empire. He's not trying to build a cult. You get it? He's not trying to get people to do what he wants. He's actually speaking the heart of God. There's a difference between cult leaders that try to lull you into building what they want and a person that's directly a mouthpiece from God. You know, Paul, if you look at his journey of where he was led, you guys, and, you know, years in the wilderness and just receiving revelation upon revelation upon revelation, then he comes and he preaches a gospel that, you know, Peter says it's hard to understand, but he says it is the scripture. I mean, Paul was speaking directly what he got face to face from Jesus. He got his revelation from Jesus. But verse 12, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, I love this, you guys. The word revelation is remove the cover, right? Remove the veil, right? The word revelation, I think it's apaluzo, whatever that word is, but it's to uncover or remove layers that keep us from seeing perfectly. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, which Paul wrote, he says that the law was like a veil over the heart of them that they couldn't see what Christ wanted them to see so that Jesus came to remove the veil so that we could actually see all that is in Christ, which is all in us. You know, Paul also wrote Colossians, which I preached from yesterday, and where we get Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, 2 Peter 3.16, that's where Peter says, you know, Paul, when he talks, it's hard for us to understand us people that got our revelation from men. It's hard for us to understand, but we know it's the scripture, right? Peter says that about Paul. He goes, his teaching sometimes is really hard to understand, but we know it is the scripture. Paul got all of his revelation from man, not from man, from Jesus. He was face-to-face -face encountering with Jesus. Paul is the one that tried to kill all the Christians. Paul is the one that tried to force people into legalism. Paul is the one that tried to stop the way to try to snuff out the birth of Christianity. That was what his calling card was. And when he had a revelation of Jesus, now he's the biggest proponent to keep the body of Christ going. Like he got all of his revelation from man and man's wisdom and man's teaching in the beginning. But after his encounter with Jesus, he got all of his revelation from Jesus. 
13, if you've heard of my former way of life in Judaism and how I used to persecute, persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. <laughs> and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, called me through his grace. This is amazing, you guys. Paul got such a revelation that he said, I'm not on this planet for any other purpose than to be a manifestation of the glory of God. That's the reason why God separated me from my mother's womb. Through his grace, please to reveal his son in me. Now this is, this is amazing. The word reveal is that word manifest, right? The word reveal is to manifest. You know what Paul's saying his whole life was? My life is on this planet to manifest the life and power and presence of Jesus so that people will believe in God. Whoa! What if that was all of our revelation? That we have one purpose, you guys. There's only one reason we're on the planet. So that the grace, the power, the Holy Spirit can use our lives to manifest the life of Jesus. <laughs> Whoa! That's amazing, man! It's like... If anybody obeys him, if you go back to like one of my favorite chapters is John 14, it says if anybody obeys him, he'll manifest himself to them. He will manifest himself to them. And that word means to put on display, to do extraordinary things, you guys. Like God wants to do things through us that will shock people because they'll look at you and they'll say, there's no way you could do that. It has to be God. Come on, that's the word manifest. It's like miracles. Like you'll touch people. Like you'll be preaching a sermon and God will say, I want to heal shoulders, and five people's shoulders will get healed. Come on. And they'll look at you and they'll say, Well, you didn't do that. It must be God. That's exactly right. That's why I'm on the planet. So the Holy Spirit can manifest the life and presence and power of Jesus to everybody I come in contact with. But what if that was all of our revelation? Come on, man. We wouldn't be tempted to go back to works. We would just want to stay in the grace of God that lets Jesus be made known. Oh, this is good. Phil Freeman, you like this. I can tell you like this. I'm getting encouraged by Phil. So to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. You see, it's a lot easier to preach when you're demonstrating, when you're, you're, your life is demonstrating the life of the one you're preaching about. Did you guys hear that little phrase? It's a lot easier to preach when your life is demonstrating the life of the one you're preaching about. In other words, we're supposed to become the message that bring the message. Our lives are supposed to provoke people to want to know who possesses us. Do you guys get that? Our lives are supposed to be a provoking factor that people will want to know the God who possesses us. 
if your life is about, well, you need to be in church. We need to make sure you're paying your tithe. You need to make sure you're in your Sunday school class. You need to make sure, you know, that you're living holy. You need to make sure that all you're doing is pointing people to what they can do instead of what Jesus can do. Come on, you guys. Our lives should be the manifestation of the life of Christ that's in us. And then we can just talk about, well, this is the reason why this is happening. It maybe goes back to that scripture in Luke uh, 10, 8, where it says, in whatever town you go to, heal everybody that's sick and then tell them the kingdom's near. In other words, let the life of Christ do what he does, and then you can explain why it's happening. Do you guys love this? I mean, are you guys, do you guys think this is limited to Paul or do you think this is what God wants all of us to be living? I think he wants every single one of us to be the manifestation of Jesus. Huh. So, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. And then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him for 15 days. But I did not see another one of the apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which are in Christ, but they only kept hearing the man who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith, which he once tried to destroy. <laughs> I love that. So Paul's uh, reputation is the guy who used to try to kill us is now trying to give us life. <laughs> what a turnaround story, right? Come on. And they were glorifying God because of me. 14 years, 14 years, direct revelation from Jesus alone. I remember when God first filled me with the Holy Spirit, you guys, back in 1995. And I was so in, in awe of Jesus that I just locked myself in a barn and spent half my days devouring the word. It's like I couldn't work right. I couldn't function right. I had to know him more. And this lasted for 12 years where I would get my crew started in the morning and I would go lock myself in a barn at 119th and K7 on the northwest corner of Olathe, Kansas. And I would spend six or seven hours a day wanting to know this Jesus that changed me from the most self-centered, greedy, arrogant, prideful human being that ever walked the planet to where I just wanted everybody to know this Jesus. I remember during those days, 
not only did I live in the Word, I wanted, I wanted to find expression to what I had experienced when God sanctified me. I couldn't, I couldn't find it in any of the modern writings, you guys. I couldn't find it. Like, it's like people of this generation that I'm a part of, they didn't have a revelation on all the power that was available to change people's natures. And so I found a bunch of what they would call in my or my stream holiness classics. And they were books that were written between maybe 1850 and 1920, like a 70 year period. And I read 391 of them. And I wept, I wept as I would read the people's encounters because I had them, I had those encounters. And all I wanted is people to know this Jesus. I got a revelation of him. He doesn't just want to save you so you can get out of here, you guys. He wants to save you so that you can become just like him in this lifetime and replicate him and do what he does in greater. Paul was a chosen instrument to give us the gospel of grace that's received by faith. When Paul gave his list of accomplishments before he knew Jesus, it was all about what he did. In, in Philippians chapter three, he just talked about his education and his pedigree and his knowledge, his zeal. But after he met Christ, all he could talk about was the glory of suffering for this Christ. And he lists this whole list in 2 Corinthians 11 where I was scourged five times, I was rotted three times, I was stoned, I was snake bit, I was left for dead, I was shipwrecked, I was night in the beast, everybody forsook me. It's like, but he never complains. He said, this is, what, this is my badge of honor. This is all that God entrusted to me. But none of that matters. All that matters is I don't want anybody to give up on the gospel of grace. He said, it wasn't me that labored. It was Christ's power that labored in me. Paul didn't say you had to live a Sabbath. He said, I am the Sabbath. I've ceased from my labor. I've died to self. I'm crucified. I no longer live. If I'm not alive, I can't get tired. My whole life is a Sabbath rest. I live and I move and I have my being in him because he's in me and I'm in him and nothing can separate me from this reality. This was Paul. This was Paul. Legalism. Legalism and grace are opposite forces and opposite belief systems. You guys get it? I hate to say this, you guys, but my church that I was raised in has the greatest doctrine on the planet Earth on paper. It has the greatest doctrine on the planet Earth on paper. 
I've studied all the religions, you guys, of Christianity. I've studied them all. And I think that the Wesleyan Arminian arm has the clearest picture of the true gospel. You know what we did, though? We turned it into more legalism, and we chased people off more than we brought them in. Because somehow we got sidetracked into it's what we have to do. It's not what we do. It's what he already did. You know who? You know who killed Jesus, you guys? You know who persecuted Paul? Religious people. You know how you can tell, you guys? Listen to this. You know how you can tell if the organization or institution or church that you're a part of is of grace or of works? Any religious system that's not of grace will always rebel against the grace and the charisma of God. They'll persecute it because they'll know that they're wanting people to rely on what they can do and they can enforce instead of what only God can do and he can produce. And I want to wake up the church of Jesus Christ to get back to the gospel of grace, karas, power, endowment, anointing, freedom, miracles, miracles, miracles. I want to get to the place where everyone who gathers in our gatherings is healed. Everyone is healed. Can I get an amen, you guys? So I think that's enough. We finished. Galatians 1, maybe next week we'll do Galatians 2. Who knows? I think I love Galatians. Um, I, I want us to do comments now. Thoughts, comments, prayers. Um, I don't know why I got so emotional. I don't know why I got so emotional. But it's a big deal. The only times... In my life that I got off course is when I delved into works, you guys. That's the only time that I get off course is when I'm tempted to go into works. When I just stay in grace, you're impervious. You're invincible. Do you guys get this? When you stay in grace, no power of the evil can any ways harm you if you just stay in grace. So this is really a big deal. This book of Galatians is a big deal. Okay, so I'm gonna pray, you guys. I feel, I feel a real burden of the Lord. It's not Dan Bohai's burden, it's a burden of the Lord. That there are people on this Zoom right now with heavy oppression and a lot of anxiety, a lot of confusion. It's hard to focus in your mind. And so I want, um, if that's you, would you put like a heart on your screen so that I can see the people that need the deliverance in your mind right now? Just put like a, a reaction of a heart on your screen. Yeah. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay, I see. I see. Yeah, it's the, it's the word of the Lord. Amen. So the Lord is faithful. And aren't you glad he tells us what he wants to do? 
I'm trying to not only teach you guys, I'm trying to model. Like I'm trying to model before you how to live in the spirit and minister in the spirit. So I can be full blown teaching mode, but if I hear an impression, I test the spirits. And when I know it's of God, then I say it and then look at all the people that need what I heard from God. And so I'm just trying to model it. It's not something that's a, it's not a method. It's not a structure. It's a person. And I want to model what I teach to you guys. I really do want to be, I want to be the message that brings you the message. Okay. <laughs> That's, I just want to model what it looks like to be a normal Christian. Okay. And so Lord, I thank you that you're here to heal. You're here right now to deliver. All these people, Lord, that are struggling in their minds. Um, you know, we have an enemy and his job is to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus, you came to give us life. And we're thankful that you are more powerful than the enemy. We're thankful that greater is he who is in us than he who's in the world. We're thankful that we have authority and power to trample on serpents and scorpions. And no power of the evil can harm us. We're thankful for that. And we're thankful that we personally can resist the devil. We can, and he'll flee from us. And so Lord, I pray that right, right now that the ones who are struggling in their minds would rise up in their spirits, not their feelings, would reach down into their spirit, man, and rise up in their spirit and resist the devil. Resist the lies that you're no good, your situation's never gonna change, you're never gonna get past your past, you're never gonna get over your fear, you're never gonna get over your loss, your loneliness, your depression. Those are all lies. All things are new in Christ. His mercy's new every day. This too shall pass. The darkest hour means dawn is just in sight. Weeping lasts for a moment, but joy comes in the morning. Come on, all these things are true. And so, Lord, I thank you for your truth that sets us free. And I thank you that these who are struggling right now in their minds can receive truth that sets them free. So I command all demonic spirits to leave these minds right now. Spirit of heaviness, go in Jesus' name. Deaf and dumb, go in Jesus' name. Spirit of stupor, go in Jesus' name. Spirit of death, go in Jesus' name. Spirit of fear, spirit of orphan, all you demonic spirits that try to, to mask as man's wisdom, go. Leave these people's minds and emotions now. Jesus came to give us peace. The devil comes to give us discouragement. So Lord, we receive peace. We're gonna walk by grace. We're gonna walk by faith on this Zoom. We don't have to work harder to get our peace. We need to rest better in your grace. And so, Lord, I pray that you give people your rest right now. Let the rest of God rest on everyone on this Zoom right now. Let them receive the peace that passes their understanding. I command all brain fog to go. I command all confusion to go. 
in the name of Jesus Christ, this is the power source. It's you, Jesus, and you live in all of us. And so I thank you for peace. I thank you for peace of mind. Now I pray God that you would give these people that, that said they needed this prayer, this healing, this deliverance in their minds. I pray that you would give them the, 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 the reality that if they just fix their mind on you, you will give them perfect peace. Let them fix their minds on you. Let them focus on you, Jesus. You'll perfect their faith and you'll give them perfect peace. So I thank you, God, for peace that's coming. We're not going to look at others. We're going to look at you. We look at others, it's performance, it's law, it's legalism. We look at you, it's grace. We're not going to focus on others. We're going to focus on Jesus. So I declare peace of mind. I declare wholeness of soul. I apply the blood of Jesus. You'll walk by faith and not by feeling. And we will declare the marvelous works of the Lord. All of us will. So thank you, God, for your word, for your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Thank you for the family of God, the koinonia we feel on these Zoom calls. This is our church, God. Thank you for the koinonia that we feel, the fellowship and the spirit. May we learn that we carry each other's burdens and no one is left out. So thank you for this wonderful time together. We love you so much, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.